Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and take a look now, if you would. Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we're, we're going to be in just a couple verses of Scripture today. And uh, specifically, we're going to be in uh, verses 12 and 13. And we, we come to this portion of the text that is, well, at least should be, let me say it this way, near and dear to the heart of every child of God. Uh, we, we know that um, uh, there's a lot of Scripture that stands out to uh, different people for a different reason. Uh, one, of, uh, one of my life verses is, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus. Um, uh, and and it, it is near and dear to my heart, of course, for specific reasons. I'm a preacher, um, but beyond that, it is uh, uh, everything that is beautiful as far as the light and the knowledge and the glory of God is found in the face of Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the, that, that passage is very near and dear to me. But this, this one specifically, if you've never really taken a, a close look at this uh, passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, I highly encourage you to do it, to commit it to memory, uh, to uh, maybe write it on a note card, keep it with you. This portion of Scripture should be dear to the heart of every child of God. Every true believer should grab a hold of this. Now, I'd like to give a little bit of a disclaimer at the beginning of this. Um, the the task of a preacher... Um, is never to entertain, should never be. That should never be the, the main goal or the main uh, 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 approach of any preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the task of the preacher is uh, not simply to give any health, uh, self-help lectures. Um, uh, his, his task is simply to present the truth in an honest manner. Now, you think about it from the perspective of a lot of things today that, let's just be honest, tries to pass itself off as preaching, uh, but it's really no more than just a self-help uh, discussion or uh, um, a feel-good session. And and I, I don't believe that that's ever the task of a preacher, a true preacher. And, and, and this is one of those type of texts at hand where uh, if... We allow the idea of entertaining or self-help to come in. We're truly going to miss the heartbeat of this uh, passage. You see, these two verses reveal something that, that's very important uh, to the life of a Christian. We've been looking at Philippians through the lens of uh, practical Christian living. And I'd like to continue that thought and continue that idea as we go into this. Uh, and so these two verses reveal, first, what the Christian is to do, second, uh, how they do it, or how they're able to do it, should I say, and third, why they do it, why uh, it is done this way. Now, these two verses, when honestly examined, let's, let's go ahead and get this out of the way, when these two verses are honestly examined, they can simultaneously excite empower, direct, uh, strike fear into the heart of the reader, all at the same time. The depth of this study must be presented clearly so that it will be taken seriously. Now, 
Let's take a look at these two verses of Scripture, but I'd like to back up just a little bit so that we get the context. Uh, And so if you would look back to verse number 5, we're going to read verses 5 through 13. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now our text for today. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's pause for just a minute and ask God to give us wisdom now. Father, we cannot understand your word except the spirit of the living God guide us and direct us. And Father, when we come to a passage such as this, the The enormity of the task of dispensing your word weighs heavy. And Father, it causes in me a a great fear to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And Father, I don't take my position lightly. So Father, I ask, Lord, that you would hide anything of me behind the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. So that, Father, I may be able to speak as of the oracles of God. We pray these things in your Son's name and for His sake. Amen. Taking a look here very closely uh, at chapters uh, at chapter number two, verses twelve and thirteen, the the points kind of uh, kind of come in at sort of a. Uh, uh, regression, so to speak. It says uh, we do this because of this, because of this, because of this. So I'd like to take things in a little bit of a reverse order, uh, if we can, please. Uh, let's start at the end of verse 13 and see the progression that takes place leading back through verse 12. He says, uh, for, verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, the first thing that I would like to point out here, notice why God works in the heart and the life of the believer. Now, this is one of those things that we need to take seriously, that if someone has come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus said it himself in John. He said, he said, that, uh, that I will be in you, guiding you in all truth. The, the Holy Spirit will be in you, reminding you of things. So, so God himself resides in the believer, in the true believer. Now, I want you to notice why God begins to work in the life. You see that there in verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God does the work 
in the life of the believer, not because of the believer, but because of him. Now, if you could keep your hand here in the book of Philippians and go back with me to the book of Ezekiel, go to Ezekiel chapter number 36. I want you to, uh, to take a look at something that's very interesting. And uh, uh, this stuck out to me this week as I was studying. I started to look and see what is God's pleasure, why does he do what he does. And I came across this passage here in Ezekiel that I believe explains things uh, in, in better ways than I ever could. And so as we look at this, God, I want you to understand something. God is, uh, is uh, what is God's pleasure is not necessarily us. Catch this statement. God does not receive glory from making your plans succeed. God receives glory from fulfilling his plan in you. Now, some may say, well, that's kind of a... uh, self-centered or uh, uh, self-aggrandizing statement, don't you think? No, I don't believe so. For example, as a father, there are many times that I say to my kids, uh, when when, when, uh, when this happens, this will take place. You will be punished. You will be corrected if you step out of line. And as I understand uh, the idea of, uh, uh, of making these promises, if I don't follow through, the father figure has just been diminished because you, you know how kids are. Well, they, he says it, but he won't actually do it. You know, and they try to hope. You know, let's just see. Dad said I was going to get a spanking when I get home, but hopefully by the time I get home, he'll forget. God doesn't forget. Understand, God does not renege on his promises ever. If God says, this is what I will do, then that is what he will do. If God says, I will save, that is what he, sa- he does. If God says, I will be with you always, even, to the end of, in, even unto the end of the world, he means, I will be with you always. This is why, for me, I'm an eternal securist. I believe that the person who comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior honestly comes to know this person, this man, Jesus Christ, as their Savior. The Bible says, what can separate us from the love of God? Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus says, all those who are in my Father's hand can never be plucked out. God does not lie. Titus bears this out. Look at uh, chapter 36 of Ezekiel with me. And I want you to see that it is his righteous holiness that is his... uh, his pleasure. Look in verse 21. But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake. Look at the next verse with me. All right, look at the continuation there. It says, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. Verse 23. 
and I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away thy, uh, the, the stony heart out of uh, your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Notice why he does this. He goes back there in verse 21, 22. He says, I do this not for your sakes, but for my holy name's sake. Realize what Jesus Christ has done for our lives. He has given to us a promise. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a promise straight from God. This is, uh, this is something that is, a, is guaranteed. And God, God says, hey, my name's at stake because I'm the one that made the promise. People can say all they want. Well, you know, it, it's, it depends on, on how good of a life I live. Or if I can, no, 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 stop right there. It does not depend on you. God does not save you because of you. God saves you because of him because of who he is, because of what he has said. If, if he refuses, someone comes and says, well, well you, you don't understand, Pastor Andy. I, you don't know how bad of a person I am, and God can't save a person like me. Then that means he's a liar. His name is on the line. And he says, all those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out, even you. God saves because of who he is, not because of who you and I are. But here's the interesting thing. He does not simply save us and then move on. He begins a work within us. If you flip over now to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, just a little bit after uh, Philippians where we are, look at 1 Thessalonians. And I teach all my kids, I teach them the, that uh, all the T's are together and in alphabetical order. The first book of Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with me. Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God. Whoop. <laughs> Pause. People say things all the time. Well, Pastor Andy, how do I know what God's will for my life is? It's right here in black and white. Well, Pastor Andy, I really would like to know if, you know, what, what's God's will for what I do when I grow up? What's God's will for what direction I go? What's God's will? Here it is. You ready? I'm going to go ahead and solve all your problems right here. This is, uh, this is uh, 15 years worth of discipleship in one moment. Notice I didn't say one minute. All right. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification 
that ye should abstain from fornication. And somebody said, well, Pastor Ian, what's that mean? If you ain't married, don't do it. Okay, let's move on. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. In other words, how to control your body, yourself. In sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. In other words, treat people right. All right? Verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Now, Pause for just a minute and keep yourself right there in 1 Thessalonians because I want to show you something that is, is of utmost importance as we understand sanctification. Somebody may say, well, Pastor Andy, you're, you're kind of uh, Baptist. You don't believe in sanctification. Uh-uh. I do believe in sanctification. I don't believe that it is a second work to where I have to go through this progressive process before I'm saved. No, 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 no. I believe justification takes place the moment of salvation. I am justified. And sanctification is a process. From that moment on, once I am saved, I, God begins sanctifying me. And so what is it, exactly does it mean to be sanctified? Here, here let, let's put it this way. God's desire is for his children to be the best, the absolute best they can be. God is the best. Jesus Christ is the perfect example. So God's desire is for us to be like Christ. Someone may say, wow, that's kind of a tall order, isn't it? Well, yeah. It's like my kids, they, they, they go through their schoolwork, and they, well, I can't do it, Dad. I just can't figure it out. Look, I'm not asking you to be perfect, I'm just asking you to do the best job you can do. Did you honestly do the best you could do? And sometimes we go, yeah, I did the I, I actually did. That's the best I'm able to do. Then that's acceptable. And sometimes it's, well, no, I didn't really do the best I could do. Go do it again. And we were going through the uh, disciple and verses. You know, they, they get upset because I, I, I'd, I'd say, whoop, nope, not perfect yet, nope. Missed that word. Nope, didn't get that one right. Nope, didn't do that. Oh, Dad! And I said, look, I asked you to know the verse. And some people, come on, as long as they know the point of it. Listen, God has a standard. And you don't see him lowering the standard. What What kind of message is it to always lower the standard? Always bring it down. Well, you know, these, these kids, they, they have a hard time shooting on a 10-foot rim. Let's make it 7-foot. And then we go out and we praise them and give them a trophy because they dunked a 7-foot rim. Come on. We're looking at God's standard. And God's standard is Jesus Christ. So when we look and we see this word, this is verse 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification it's the uh, greek word hagiosimos that's a big word isn't it it means literally to cut off to separate 
it's the idea of <clears throat> if, uh, you know, when we're getting ready to uh, uh, cook and, and uh, I, I like taking, you know, the back strap and then slicing it all nice and thin and, and get it paper thin and then you roll it up with some, uh, uh, you get some uh, 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 cream cheese, and you mix different spices in with the cream cheese, and you roll that uh, that up uh, with the cream cheese in it after it's been soaking all night long in some brine solution, you know what I mean? And then you take bacon, and you wrap the bacon around that, and it's just a, a taste of heaven. Yeah. As I'm going through and getting that backstrap prepared, here's what I like to do. I like to take, and I like to cut that layer of fat off and I am separating the good from the bad sanctification has its root in cutting off separating now an interesting thing is the exact same word is used another time in this passage with a different word drop down to verse 7 for God hath not called you unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Same word. Translated sanctification. Translated holy. You've separated, you've cut away the bad. And you have what's left. Holiness. So someone may say, well, how do I know God's working in me? Are you moving closer and closer toward holiness? You see, here's the problem. Too many today are focused on God's obligation to us. And they neglect their responsibility to him. Listen. God is in the saving business, but he is also in the changing business. God is, is all about justifying, but he's also about sanctifying. What kind of deadbeat dad do we think God can be? To where he's like, oh, you know what? God's going to save me, make me part of his family. God's going to save me and bring me and give me a home in heaven. God's going to save me and make it to where I'm ready to go. God's going to save me and get me, a, a, get me a, a mansion and built up there. But he doesn't expect me to change. He's just going to leave me as I am. Wrong. Wrong. So wrong, it's pathetic. And here, this, this idea, the mind that we seem to think that we have uh, to where I can come to know Christ as my Lord and Savior, have myself at home in heaven, and live however I want to live, wherever I want to live, with whoever I want to live, doing whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, talking to whoever I want to talk to, the way I want to talk to them, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. The idea that God is pleased with that is disgusting. It's sad. God saves us and changes us. He works in us. Well, how do I know that I'm being sanctified, Pastor Andy? How do I know that I'm making my way through? How do I know that God is in me? God will be changing you. Are you the same person today that you were yesterday? Are you the same person today you were last week? Are you the same person today you were last month? Now, some people can look and they can say, well, you know what, Pastor Andy? I was a, I was a pretty bad guy about 15 years ago, and then God saved me, and he changed me, and he made me a good guy. Have you changed since then? Or are you the same today that you were the day you got saved? 
just, just doing okay. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. And I get to that peak that I've never been to before and I'm as close to God as I have ever been and I'm making my way up and I get to that point and I say, praise God, I am on higher ground, but guess what? I'm not satisfied. I want to get even higher. That's God working in me to do of His good pleasure. Knowing what is at stake, God's reputation, we can easily see why God would be at work in the believer. He's no deadbeat dad. He doesn't just ignore his children. He is involved moment by moment in his children's life. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me, just a few more books over. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 7. Actually, let's back up to verse uh, 5. Hebrews 12, 5. And ye, have, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Listen, this is a great truth found right here. A great truth found in, all, in, in what we're seeing with this. Notice something. There should be joy when we go through discipline from God. It means we are His children. Do you understand that? Do you get that? That as I am disciplined by Him, it reminds me I'm His child. I can remember as a kid, me and my buddies, as a kid, but even even older than that, as a teenager, you know, being a teenage punk and you're, uh, you're driving around being a goober, and uh, me and my buddies, we'd get in trouble, and, and uh, my dad would try to hold me accountable. He'd say, what were you thinking? And he'd get all upset at me, and uh, of course, my buddies might even be right there in the room with me, you know, and, and he'd be yelling at me. He wouldn't be yelling at my buddies, he'd be yelling at me. And I'm like, well, they were doing it too. He says, I'm not their dad. Did you ever have that one? You probably had that. From your parent a time or two. Well, well, what about them? They get to do this. And what about them? They get to go there. Listen, I'm not their father. God corrects his children. The great truth found here, there should be joy in knowing it. It means his children. However, fear ought to set in. For some people in this passage. If you can live 
in willful sin and experiencing no discipline from God. You should be scared. You should be fearful if you experience no discipline from God and you're able to continue doing everything that, uh, uh, that you want to do and you know it's wrong, but you don't care. You, you're, you're fine to keep on doing it and ain't nobody going to tell me what I can and can't do. You very well may not be his child. That's, that's scary words. It should be anyway. But understand something. God is always working in the life of his children. He is never, never, never neglectful. You see, the deeper your walk with Christ, the more Christ-like you will be. The more Christ-like you will be. Look at verse 12 with me. Back in our text of Philippians. It says, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my absence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's the deal. As I go through my life and as I make my way through uh, this Christian walk, I start to realize a few things. I start to realize that there are things in my life, there are things in my heart, there are things that I am doing, there are things that I shouldn't be doing, there are things that I should be doing, and I start to see that. That is God working in me. He is starting to take that idea of of being more and more like Christ. He is starting to grow me into the person of his son. He is starting to expose to me, and in my mind, I know there are things that need to change. I know that there are things that I need to be doing differently I understand this that is God working in me as I'm reading his word I'm coming to uh, to grips with the truth that I, I I am lacking in certain areas and I need to address this I need to address that I need to come closer to him on this one I, I maybe I'm acting too rashly maybe I'm having an unforgiving spirit maybe I'm struggling and I'm striving maybe uh, maybe I'm trying to uh, make myself more than I ought to be and making him less I've got uh, idols over here I've got idols over there. And as God is working in me, I then begin to work out what he is working in. And so God exposes to me, Andy, you're a hothead and you need to get this under control. I've got one of two options. And go, that's just the way I am. People need to deal with it. Or I can work out what God is trying to work in. Do you see that? God starts to bother my heart. He starts to burden me, and he starts to affect a change within me. (laughs) Listen, I I, I used to be one of the biggest jerks you'd have ever met. And and through time, and through the process of, uh, of God taking that stony heart out of me and putting in a heart of flesh, I want to say, well, what in the world is Ezekiel talking about back there? He says, take out the stony heart and the heart of flesh. The stony heart is impenetrable. But that flesh can be penetrated. It's pliable. 
It's shapeable. A stone is hard. Do you have a heart of flesh? Has the Lord changed that heart in you? Then work out what He is working in. Now, again, going back, some, some may say, see, this is evidence. See, God's working, uh, working in you, to, to, uh, and this is evidence that uh, it, you know, salvation's a process. No, it's God works in you, not on you. All right, so this is, and, and then look what else it says there in verse 12. Work out your own salvation. The salvation is assumed to have already been there. We're just working it on the outside of what has taken place on the inside. This is not referring to attaining salvation. This is referring to revealing salvation. Verse 13 gives evidence of verse 12. Now notice, uh, or I'm sorry, I said that the other way around. Verse 12 gives evidence of verse 13. God does not neglect his part. The question again is, do you look more like Christ today than you did yesterday? Do you look more like Christ today? Let's, let's not, you know, well, day after day is kind of a hard gauge, you know, I, I didn't really get too many opportunities to not be Christ-like yesterday. I only yelled at my kids 55 times. And so, okay, let's take it back. Do you look more like Christ today than you did last month? God's working in you. In what ways are you looking more like Him? That's the question. Notice, uh, notice also... That obedience to God, obedience to God, is the practical way we work it out. Go back to the beginning of verse 12 now. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in, as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Some may say, well, Pastor Andy, how am I supposed to work out? Simple. Obedience. That's as simple as I can make it. When God's word says to do this, just do it. When God's word says don't do that, just don't do it. Obedience to God is the simplest way we can practically work out our salvation. Notice, this is a continual thing. This is not a one-and-done situation. Well, God saved me back in 1912 and whatever, you know. Hey, stop. This is a daily thing. The Apostle Paul says, I die daily. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the only reasonable thing to do. Catch this. Again, one of those if statements. If God is working in you, it will affect a desire to be worked out. 
The question is, if I am no different today than I was two years ago, 12 years ago when I first got saved, if I am no different in my thinking, in my acting, in the way I speak to people, in the way I treat other people, in my desires, in my personal goals in life, if I'm no different, is God working in me? And somebody, well, God saved me, but he doesn't work in me like he does other people. Whoa. God doesn't do it because of who you are or who I am. He does it because of who he is. And if he said, I will do this, who are we to make him a liar? The issue is not if God is working in us. The issue is if we're working out what he is working in us. Understand, today's culture is so focused on the unmerited. Oh, come on, Pastor Andy. Why you got to talk about how holy and we got to be sanctified and, and he, he's judging? And Why you got to talk about that stuff? Because the Bible does. And some people are so focused on the love of God that they completely lose sight of the rest of it and they get upset when you bring other things into play. Let's look at the conclusion in this. Listen, either God is in you working to make you more like Him, to make you your life honoring of Him, to sanctifying you, making you holy, righteous. He's chastising you. <laughs> I had somebody call me this week and, and all upset because they, they, they f- were afraid that they were going to fall and and, and and I told him, I said, and that's that's good. <laughs> you're you're upset at yourself. You're you're frustrated. You're you're mad at sin and you're mad at your flesh. That's a wonderful thing. God will affect that in us. Now let's work it out. Are you obeying God and his word? Are you obeying him and his word? And some of them say, well, pastor, I'm not perfect, and it's kind of rude of you to think I should be. Listen, don't worry about being perfect. Worry about that one thing that's on your mind that you know you need to change right now. Well, you know, I'm awful snippy with my wife sometimes. I need to work on that and to show her a Christ-like attitude more. I'm not very respectful to my husband. I need to work on that and show him respect whether I think he deserves it or not. That one thing, that's what you work on. God's working in you right now. There's something maybe in your heart and in the back of your mind right now. You've been thinking about it when we went through it, and you might want to argue yourself away. Ah, he doesn't understand the circumstances. We don't have to understand the circumstances. We just do it. God said, do this. No questions about it. You know, just like the people crossing the Jordan when the Israelites were crossing the Jordan. You know, there are so many people who would get right to the edge of the Jordan. (laughs) Right up to the edge of it. And they'd say, you know, God said he was going to part it. I'd kind of like to see him part the water before I step in. But God said, no, step in. 
and I'll party. Well, I sure would like to know that if I handle it the way God said, God says, wives, see that you reverence your husband. Husbands, love your wife. Well, you know, if she'd start treating me this way, then I'll start loving her more. If he starts treating me this way, then I'll respect him more. No, no, no. God said, do this. It's time for us to step out. But so many people are waiting for God to do his part before they even think about doing theirs. Are you obeying God and his word? Just just the one thing. Second, are you doing these things in your own power? Are you doing it in your own power and your own ability? Or are you doing it in his? In Blackaby's book on Joshua, he's talking about the promises of God. And he's talking, he says, these are powerful promises and each is available to every Christian. Yet believers are still reluctant to seek God. They are still so weary. They remain in bondage. They are still hesitant to trust God for all the resources he has promised. No doubt the reason lies in the promises themselves. Catch this. Quite often, God's promises come on the condition of some action on your part. For example, James 4.8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double mind. Well, how come God's not drawn near to me? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Are you trying to do things in your own power, or are you relying on his? And third and finally, why would someone do this? Why would someone live this way? In other words, what is the goal in all of it? Well, Jesus, to be like him, that is the goal. Uh, let me ask you, you know, going back to are you becoming more like Christ or are you becoming more like the world regularly? Why would... I want to be like some other flawed creation when I can be like the creator. Well, you know, I, I, I pattern myself after... Stop. You know, my, my son talks to me all the time. He'll say things, and I'm sure this may be just the age, you know. But he'll say, I just want to be like you, Dad. And I tell him, I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Christ. I don't want you to be like me. I don't, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my grandfather. I don't want to be like my... I want to be like him. And so don't look at other flawed individuals and pattern your life after them. His name is at stake. And if I bear the name of Christ, Christian, then I ought to have a desire 
to reveal His Son in every aspect of my life. Looking back at the passage once more. Wherefore, in other words, based on everything that took place in verses 5 through 11 there, about Jesus offering Himself for you, being humbled for you, and one day He will be proclaimed as Lord. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Are you allowing God to work in you? Are you working that out? That's the question. And maybe the question is better posed this way. Is God even in you at all? Again, not my job to entertain. I don't do this lightly. No preacher worth his salt would come to the table, come to the sacred desk, the pulpit. No pastor worth his salt would ever leave you hopeless. Would ever lead you to believe you may have something that you do not have. It is not my job to make you feel good about yourself. It's my job to implore you to see the person of Jesus Christ. To come to Him. To follow Him. To become more like Him. That's my responsibility. And so I beg you to examine and work out what He is working in. If there is nothing being worked in, we need to get that changed. See Him for who He is. Follow Him. And obey. Father, Lord, I I know that it's it's a tough thing sometimes to be honest with ourselves. Lord, I, I, I come before you, Lord, just begging, begging, Father, that on behalf of those who uh, have been listening, tuned in, that, Father, that you would break the hearts of the hearers. Father, that you would draw them close to you that you would expose to them whatever needs changing, and that, Father, you would be seen gloriously uh, true to your word, that not only do you save, but, Father God, you change. So, God in heaven, we pray, Lord, that you would bless the hearers, Father, convict the lost, sanctify day after day, the saved. 
And Father, that we would be busy working out what it is that you are working in because we know that you're there interceding ever on our behalf. Father, that we would desire to follow you with no turning back. Amen.